Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday sermons are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, Senior Pastor David Schmaltz. As we value the presence of God, God will do amazing things in us. When we rely upon ourselves, when we're, we're trying to make things happen, it's, it's just like that picture of Jesus you know, in the boat and the, the, the disciples are all rowing against that storm. And then when Jesus shows up, it says they arrived to the other side. I mean, I just love that. When Jesus is there, miracles happen. Pretty simple. So we need to invite him more into our life. Amen. So I'm seeing that and I'm excited. And so I really want to just lovingly continue to press us in that direction. And so there are times when you definitely feel that you need to change. Isn't that right? And, you know, we're come up, coming up on the, the whole New Year's resolution thing, and we always kind of in a fog kind of stumble into the next year, don't we? But I, I think we don't need to wait for that. I think we need to really be praying. Since God is doing that, when God is stirring the pool, you know, I think it's time to, it's time to get in. And so we all have those times when we really feel like we need to change. And, and I'm not talking about just being bored or restless, but I'm talking about when you wake up and you realize that the things you're doing in your life just aren't working, okay? They're just not working. You finally become honest with yourself, and the light bulb turns on, click, right? Just like those Christmas lights. You see the light, and you're not despondent, you know, or depressed or feeling like giving up, but you're just ready to do, do what's necessary. And God brings us to that place often. And we all do our best at times, though, to ignore when that light comes on. That's just our flesh. And sometimes we run. Sometimes we just fill our lives with such busyness that we don't have time to wonder, to assess, to change. Does that make sense to you this morning? God is speaking to us. But that day of reckoning comes, as we all come to that point, and as a Christian, that reckoning always involves Jesus. And here's the story this morning. I want to share with you a story about a man who had an encounter with Jesus that absolutely changed his life. And I love this story because the more I dug into it this week, the more I was just like, this is just the coolest story. And as a result of getting to a higher place, he really began to see the light and was given the courage to make some major changes in his life. So let's look at Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. I just think, you know the story. You know even the song. Why don't we sing it? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Man, was he, come on, in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to. There you go. As the, he climbed, he, what did he do? He stopped by the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, for I'm going to your house today. There you go. Give yourselves a hand. We need more of that. But let's read it instead of singing it. Because we didn't do that all that good of a job. But anyway, all right. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. Justice. 
Anyway, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. He came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Wonderful story. Wonderful story. But there's a lot more in this story that we don't see. It's the only place that is recorded there in Luke chapter 19. And there are are interesting uh, associations here that we need to to pick on because it's going to cause our story to really unfold this morning. And I really believe that God is speaking to us today through this story. So let's catch it all. First of all, this takes place in the city of Jericho. And the city of Jericho, as you know, historically, represents a place of faith. It is the first city. It is the first test for the Israelites as they're coming into the new land. So Jericho has a special meaning. Luke caught it, and of course Jesus did too. But it's a place of testing of faith. The Israelites had to obey God in that first test in order to move to the higher ground to move into what God had for them. So here was this city, this place of testing that was important, very key for them to get all that God had for them. And God has a tremendous amount, a lot more for you today, my friend. And Zacchaeus is such a perfect example for us all of an individual who's going to come into this place of faith himself. He was a tax collector. We read that in the scripture. Now, now he was just not a tax collector, but he was a what? A chief tax collector. So he was kind of the boss of many of them. And there we go. Uh, He was a boss. And so, I mean, you got a bunch of rascals. Of course, we know tax collectors during that time. Matthew was a tax collector, but he wasn't a chief. Zacchaeus is kind of unique in that he's an overseer of many tax collectors. And so he is extorting on top of extorting. So the tax collectors were out there asking for the tax plus some. Okay, so they're like sharks in that sense, but he's a shark of sharks. So when the the tax collectors come to him, not only just says, hey, look, I want a cut of what you made, but I want a little bit more. So he's a rascal. And needless to say, he's a very hated man. So he got money on top of that money, bribes, extortion, and all manner of evil. And as a result of this dishonest gain, he was rich. Now Zacchaeus is curious when he hears that Jesus is coming, though, most certainly Jesus would have, I'm sorry, Zacchaeus would have already heard about Jesus. All of Israel had been hearing about this miraculous man and what he'd been doing. The word about him is spreading very quickly. Miracles. People going around and saying, you're not going to believe what happened. I mean, I was there and he turned, I mean, he fed us. And I saw a person that had a shriveled up arm. It was pulled out, it was made into a complete arm right in front of my eyes. I saw a person who I knew was blind is now seeing. So this, this news about this wonderful Savior has been traveling. And so certainly Zacchaeus, when he hears that he's coming into his town, is like, you know, I own this town. I got to see this man. So reputation had preceded him. And with childlike curiosity, 
and a pursuit of Jesus, he, begin, he, he begins to seek him out. So he runs outside. You can, see this, you can see it. And I want you to kind of imagine this. Now, as the way it works always in, in, in most places in life, you know, it, it's funny how things work out. You know, that God seems to give all the athletic ability to a guy who never gets a chance to play. Or God gives all the smarts to a person who, who does not end up being the, the Microsoft king or whatever. It's just sometimes how that works out in life. And here is this guy that, that is short. He's not impressive in any sense of, of the word. He's kind of the Danny DeVito of his time, right? <laughs> kind of waddling out there trying to see what's going on, and he can't see it. And so he has to take a step. And I, I mean, I can just see this happening. He's used to pushing people around. He's used to, you know, pushing his weight and threatening people. But man, when Jesus shows up, the playing field is leveled. And nobody cares about the little short dude at that point. It's just like, look, I'm sorry. I mean, you may tax me tomorrow, but I'm going to be here in line with Jesus. And so you just take your spot. So nobody's moving. They see him coming. So what is he going to do? He has to make a choice. What's that choice going to be? Is he going to demean himself, humble himself, and get up inside that tree in front of everyone? It's exactly what it does. He climbs up that sycamore tree because, again, he's a short man. And again, I see it as kind of a comical thing to see this little guy. He's fighting the crowds, and it's a very childlike thing to do. Isn't that right? I mean, we don't often see adults climbing trees. And if we do, they end up someplace where they take care of them, right? But anyway... <laughs> <laughs> so there he is this this man who everybody knows is to be an infamous man is up on top of a tree looking down so that he can see what's going on like a little child i mean you know can you imagine a bill gates doing that a steve a mark zuckerberg or anybody like that no we can't imagine that but that's exactly what was going on here he didn't care what the people thought of him he pushed past his personal pride and his image to just get a glimpse of this wonderful man. It's a powerful, powerful thing. Really, if you look at this, it's kind of that first stage of when we hear of Jesus for the first time. We press through what people think in our lives. You experienced that. I experienced that. I remember it very well. I had a subculture that I lived in. There were things that I had to live under. There were, as a young man, there were, you know, there were expectations of kind of the social order that I lived in as an athlete and all that. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. But at that point when Jesus starts, when you hear about Jesus and you begin to hear, man, you just start pushing through that and you start just saying, I don't care about those social norms anymore. I don't care what people think of me. I don't care anymore. I just want to get a glimpse of him. And just like Zacchaeus, man, he just puts all personal pride aside and climbs up into a tree, looking down just to get a glimpse he could have just stayed in the house and said, sent out his servants and say, hey, yeah, yeah, just go tell me what, what he looks like and, you know, but he wanted to see him personally. And that kind of gives us that idea that, that we know that God was doing something in Zacchaeus' heart. He had come to that moment where he was tired of his life. He had come to that place where he had, the guilt had risen so high that he knew that what he had been doing was very, very wrong, that how he was treating people and, 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 and his reputation. He'd come to that place, and Jesus shows up. So it's kind of like that perfect divine moment when he comes to that realization, I have a chance. 
chance to change. And if I just see him, if I just connect with him somehow, maybe, just maybe, I've got hope coming. Again, he didn't push, um, and he didn't care what people thought of him. He pushed past that personal pride just to get an image. Now, he climbs this tree, and it's interesting because I thought about the tree at first, and I was just going to push past it. I said, no, I'm going I'm to dig a little deeper on the sycamore tree. Man, am I glad I'm, I, I'm, I did. Because the sycamore tree, we got American sycamore trees, and they're big and huge, but this is nothing like what this tree is. This is a fig tree and a very unusual fig tree. It is likely the fig tree, and a lot of Bible scholars believe that it's actually the tree that was the, uh, the forbidden fruit tree. Some people believe it because it's actually one of the few fruit trees in all of the Mideast that has remained there as far as history can record. It's an amazing tree. They believe it's actually the, 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 the tree that Adam and Eve used to sew the cover for themselves. Remember, they used a fig leaves. This is our tree. And only that native sycamore tree, again, can be found in the Mideast. It's, a, again, an interesting tr- tree to choose. Whether it was just there by sheer chance or God-ordained, it just oozes with symbolism that is fun to observe. So Zacchaeus climbs that tree, that tree which represents life. It tr- that tree represents new beginnings. I began to look at that, the, the, the root word of the sycamore. It actually comes from the word, uh, where we get the word sycophant. You ever heard of that word before? You probably have. A sycophant is actually a, a, not a very nice word to describe a person. It means that if I, if I called you a sycophant, or sycophant is somebody might, how you might pronounce it, it means you're a person who supplants. You're a person who's not real, that you're, you, you get into a person's life only to rob them, to steal them, to defraud them in some way. Isn't that interesting? That here's Zacchaeus, who represents every bit of that, is climbing that tree. The tree where that word comes from. It represents a falling. It, it represents a deception. It represents trying to live a life without God in every sense of the word. And for sure, we know that is exactly what Zacchaeus is. But, of course, he's a a Jewish man. He's a son of Abraham. But tax collectors during that time were considered so despised, even to the point of having rejected even their roots, rejecting who they were at the very heart, because they were taking advantage of their own people. Hated, hated, and certainly despised by God. So he climbs this tree. Now, this tree also, in time, over history, has represented more than just a a tree of sin, but it represents a tree of regeneration because the actual tree itself is very, very cool. Let me just tell you real quickly. It produces figs that grow very close to the tree itself, but the tree is a tree that has to be constantly maintained in order for it to bear fruit. And what you have to do to these figs, these figs literally have to be scarred. Man, this is so cool. This, they have to be cut. So that there actually was, for a sycamore fig to actually bear lots of fruit, it had to have a person who tended it all the time. And what you needed to do was come and literally cut the figs to slice them so that it was injured to the point of knowing that it had to produce more. 
And so as you maintain the fig tree, it is the coolest thing. As I read, I was like, no way. Yes way. This is the tree he chose to climb. The tree that represented who he was in his character, but it also represented what needed to take place to change. Incredible. Yes, ma'am. I do like doing that. But you'd have to cut it, and then the fruit would, would, would ripen, and you could take it off, and right in behind it would come another one. But if you didn't cut it, if you didn't scar it, it would just stay on there, and the tree would remain just, would not produce much fruit. Incredible. So Zacchaeus climbs, Zacchaeus climbs this tree because it's one that just happens to be there. But it's a tree, and, and I can just imagine what's taking place here. Because, see, Jesus didn't miss any of that. He never missed that. So he's walking along, and he sees this little man. And I'm sure that didn't happen every day. He would see children in the trees. But to see this grown man, this little grown man, in the top of this sycamore fig tree that he knew what it represented, and he just must have just, you know, I mean, Jesus didn't stop for everything. I mean, he stopped for only a divine appointment. He stopped for that woman who touched him and virtue came out. And then he said, who touched me? But generally, it was like Jesus was a little almost like, look, I've got a kingdom thing to do. And unless, you're, unless the Father has told you to interrupt what I'm doing, I'm not stopping. So he's moving on. And he just stops. And he looks up in that tree. Now, this is interesting. He's thinking, only my daddy could have set this one up. Here is the sycamore tree. I know what it represents. Here's this little man up there. He's probably rotund, probably just a little bowling ball of a guy up in there. And Jesus looked at him and said, Zacchaeus, I just love the language because it bespeaks exactly what it's taken by. I got to go to your house today. <laughs> you, you see what I'm saying? I have got to go to your house today because I know this is a God thing. I know that this fits into the Father's plan so beautifully. And you'll see at the very end, that he was right on. Can you see? This tree represents the potential for usefulness. See, that fig tree is us. It represented Zacchaeus. It represents us too. And there we are. We're sitting with all the potential that God has placed in each one of us. And we can bear the kind of fruit that he intends us to have. But in, until we get to that place where we're willing to just cut we're allowing, we're, we allow Jesus to come and injure our pride. Injure those areas of, you know, that we hide, that we don't let anybody. You've got to cut open the fruit. You've got to cut open your life. You've got to get into the interior of who we are in order for us to be able to, to bear much fruit. I mean, that's where it is, folks. I got looking at that. I thought, wow, it's so cool, God. We become most useful my friends, when we allow Jesus to tend us. When we let him be the fig tree tender that, that, that cuts us, that removes the fruit, because the fruit's not supposed to remain. When the fruit stays and is not used, that's it. Just one, one crop of fruit, done. But when we allow Jesus to come and to cut us and to remove the fruit that is cast off from our life and we just give it away with no strings attached and we allow Jesus to do what we're called to do and that is to die and to be given away, then we'll bear even more fruit. And that's the fearful place where most of us live. 
that we don't want to give up the certain things of our life, that we don't want to give of our time. We don't want to give of our energy. We don't want to give of our life that we, we just feel like it's too much of a risk. We feel like, well, what is it going to mean? What is it going to cost? What is it going to, what is it going to matter? And that one is so real right now. It said in the last days that the love of many would grow cold. The things that we had fought for, whether it be racial unity, whether it be civil rights, whether it be for the love of people or to take care of the poor, the things that we've, we, we, you know, that it seems like a generation that we have fought for, it just seems to be crumbling right in front of our eyes and people are looking at one another and just saying, what does it matter anymore? You can't give up on what Jesus has called us to do. And I call you Christians that if you want to change, then you've got to allow Jesus to tend you, to cut you, to pick from your life. Because then and only then are you going to experience the kind of life that you've been hoping for to get to a higher place. See, if you want to get to that higher place, man, you're going to have to demean yourself. You're going to have to climb the tree, baby. That's what you're going to have to do. You, you can't let anybody care about what, what you think. I mean, you, that means you might have to cut across what all the other students are doing. You're going to have to cut across what all you see your friends and your neighbors doing. You're going to have to cut across even what all of, the, of what the people in your lives are saying. Because in these times, man, I tell you, the mob wants to do one thing. But God says, I've called you to something different. And if you're willing to do that, then you will see the glory of God. If not, all you'll see is flames. He stops by. Did, he see, did Jesus see him far away? It says he calls him by name, and I love that. Come on now. I mean, it's, it's in the little things of these stories that you got to look to see. And he stops and he says, Zacchaeus, you come down like the song, right? How do you know his name? Either, maybe he was so infamous that everybody knew who Zacchaeus was. Well, that's, that would be one thing. You're so bad that everybody knows you? Okay, well, that works for our story. But I would be willing to bet, and all the commentaries that I read said that Jesus didn't know the man. This is Jericho. Jesus had never been to Jericho, not up until this point. Comes into town, there is this bad guy sitting in the tree, automatically knows who his name. Well, Jesus had done that before. So it's not out of the realm of possibilities. It's more probable that Jesus had a word of knowledge, looked up and knew who he was, because the father told him, this is Zacchaeus, and we're going to do something kingdom today, Jesus. Zacchaeus, you come down. Man, I love it. It shows that God knows us by name. It doesn't matter how far we've gone. It doesn't matter how far we have pulled away from God and done evil. God knows us by name. And if we're willing to climb the tree, he's ready to work with you. He's ready to call you out and to go to your house. Not just to hang out with you there, embarrass you in front of everyone. He says, look, we got business to do, and I'd rather do it in your house. I'd rather go where I can hang out with you personally. Don't you love that about Jesus? I mean, most of us think that Jesus wants to just embarrass us. Hey, everyone, look at this idiot in the top of the tree. I appreciate your boldness and all, but look, we all know who you are. Am I right? Yes. Could have pulled that one. No, he says, man, you got to get down, buddy, because I'm going with you to your house. Jesus tells him to come down again immediately. He sees the, the, the divine appointment. It says Zacchaeus welcomes him gladly. 
So we know he wasn't resisting. We know that his gladness, he must say, oh, you want to come to see me? You want to come to my house? It's, can you see the childlike faith coming out? Here's a, a notorious man who's acting like a little kid. You want to come to my house? He grabs one of his servants. He says, oh, Jesus grabs him by the ear. You go home and get that stuff ready for him. Jesus is coming. Oh, he hasn't changed yet now. He's still the rascal that he is. I mean, you can see him doing that very easily. And Jesus is looking at him going, yeah, okay, we'll deal with that. But anyway, he's excited to meet someone who knew him by name and of great renown who is holy and good that he'd be even willing to spend any time with him, Zacchaeus must have just been elated. See, this is our Jesus. He's so loving. He's so good. He's so kind. He wants to be with us regardless of what we have done. See, so many, so many when they wake up on a Sunday morning after a Saturday night. Uh Uh-huh. They wake up on a Sunday morning after a Saturday night, and they're just going, oh, I don't think I can do this. I don't want to go climb no trees today because I feel I don't think I can. I mean, people are going to see my bloodshot eyes. People are going to see that I stayed up late, clubbing, doing whatever, and just roll over and just say, well, maybe next time. But Jesus says, no, look, I know what you've done. You don't think I know what you've been doing? You don't think I know who you are and your name and what's been going on inside your heart? And yet I still say to you, I want to come to your house. I want to come into your life. If you move to Revelation, you see Jesus saying, I'm knocking on the door. He uses that house. The house, the oikos is the the Greek word for that. And it's, it's it's the most intimate and personal part. A person from that time, and of course we understand that to a degree, but in, in, in the Middle Eastern times, your home was everything. And if you invited someone into your home, you came under their protection, it meant you literally became a part of their family. So if, if you would have them, in, I mean, you know, we don't really see that today. I mean, we're like, look, your hour's up, you need to get out now. Back then, it was just like, look, my home is your home. And you can stay as long as you want. Now think about that one. But see, that's what Jesus is saying. Look, I will come into your home, and I will sup with you, and I'm going to stay with you. Now, out of all the people you invite to your home, Jesus is the one, the one you want to stay for a very long time. Matter of fact, we'd be like Elijah, um, you know, where they want to make that room for him. We'd be like, Jesus, I'm, look, uh, you know, one of my kids, look, you're out of your bedroom. Jesus is going to stay there. I'm sorry. Jesus. Go find your couch or something. But Jesus is staying. I mean, we would do whatever we could do to get Jesus to stay. Am I right? And that's what Jesus wants to do. He loves us. He understands what we've been through. He understands what's going on, the conflict inside. He understands our battle with the sin, the sin nature and the the, the world in which we live in. And he's just saying, look, I, I need to come to your house and I need to help you. And I need to, you need to show me the fruit so that I can scar it, so I can touch it, so that we can remove it and that more growth can come. See, maturity, maturity in the spirit, my friends, if you want to get to a higher place today, and I know you do, because we're all dealing with pride. We're all dealing with laziness and selfishness. 
We're all dealing with a lack of true humility and spirituality. We're all trying to cover over all of this stuff with, at times, a false humility, of going through the motions, you know, just to try to buy someone off with our time and our effort. Come on, let's just be real, because that's where we truly live. And Jesus says, look, I know all that. I need to come into your house, and let me touch some of those things. And then you can really get growing. If you want to take the next step, it means you're going to need to get rid of some things. And that's what I see going around in our church right now. It's people coming to Pastor Jamie and myself and, other, and the elders and just saying, I'm ready to do this. I'm ready to change. I think, I've, I think I'm fed up with what it is out there. And that's a wonderful thing. Because, you know, that's something that a human can't press someone to do. And you know, in my heart, that's, we're not called to do that as a church. I don't think that's a church's job. That's the Holy Spirit's job, to bring us to a place of conviction, to finally say, you know what, I, I, I can't live in this anymore. I, I want to change. So you see all that happening. Then it says that the people muttered that Jesus would be willing to go to the house of a sinning and a very notorious person, surely hated by all the people. Jealousy was definitely the you know, the likely emotion that was going on because they're like, well, he didn't say he wanted to come to my house. But isn't it interesting that he chose the worst of all of them? And they're just scratching their heads going, well, that doesn't make sense at all. Because over there, there's probably a Jew who had been of renown of, you know, being kind and gentle and giving. And he's probably right there up on the front row. Here comes Jesus. Yeah, he's going to notice me. Hey, comes over to his servant, look, go home and make sure everything's ready, sheets are clean, you know, get it all ready because Jesus is probably going to come to our house today. And then he just walks right past. Huh? And he picks Zacchaeus? What's up with that? Something's really wrong with that. You know how he would, Jesus must have ticked off so many Christians, I mean, you know, so many, so many Jews, so many God-fearing people during the time? I'm trying to jump ahead of myself, but we'll get to that in a second because he's going to tell why. Now, at some point in our story, so he bypasses everyone, goes to his home. There he is in the home. And the story does not have a timeline in the sense we jump from from really Jesus saying, hey, I got to come to your house to boom. It says Zacchaeus immediately. And again, I looked at that and said, well, did Zacchaeus do that right there in front of everyone? Likely not. Likely what happened is that this, this, this tree, I mean, Zacchaeus probably lived in a hacienda, I mean, he probably lived in a large compound. And that tree was probably very close to where he lived. It's probably what happened, what likely happened, is he said, I gotta go to your house today, and he immediately go in. And in front of all of his friends, the first thing he does, because he sees Jesus, and he has this confrontation in this time of Jesus, Jesus comes into his life, the next thing that happens is he stands up and says, I've got to change. I've got Jesus in my life now. Now follow this. I'm going to go through it very quickly. I'm interested in what God is doing, and I know I've got to change. And so I come to the place where I've got to climb a tree. I've got to, I've got to face my, my own, you know, uh, supplanting heart because I'm, only, I'm, I'm hurting myself. I'm my own worst enemy. 
It's when Jesus gets close to me. I'm going to climb the tree. I'm going to cut past all pride. I'm going to cut past everything. And I'm going to debase myself in front of all of my friends. And I'm going to get up there so I can see him. And then I know he's going to see me. And then he's going to, and he's going to invite me to come. And I, to, to connect with him. And he's going to come into my heart and into my life. But guess what, folks? That's not enough. And Zacchaeus teaches us this lesson. Because Zacchaeus is still the rascal. He still is who he is. Just in love with the Savior. And that so represents us. <laughs> yeah, every, of course, every stage does. But look at this one. This is the one that's probably most painful. The one I looked at and just said, oh dear, okay. This is cutting even deeper. This is Zacchaeus. He announces. He says, look. Let's read it. He stands up and he says, to, he says to the Lord, he says to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. What does he do? He goes after the very thing that is causing him to stumble. He's going after the very thing that he knows is required for him to take the next step to get to the real high ground. See, Jesus didn't say a word. And I love that. It doesn't, it doesn't say that he walks in and says, now, Zacchaeus, we both know you're an infamous character and you're ripping the people off. You know, you're selfish, you're proud, you're um, greedy, you're just a bad guy. So, look, this is what you need to do. None of that happens. And what I love about this is that Zacchaeus comes to that revelation on his own. It's like Jesus comes into his life and he jumps up and he goes, today, I'm going to give back what I've stolen. I'm going to give to the poor because I know that that's my stumbling block. I know that that's the scar in my fruit. That's the place where God needs to come and deal. And you know what? When the Holy Spirit comes knocking on the door of your own life and he begins to come in and you let the presence of God, nobody has to tell you what you got to do. Am I right? I mean, I can get up here and give words of knowledge, there's someone in the room here today that's dealing with a, an adulterous affair and God says, you need to stop that right now. I mean, I could go right down the list of things and just let God do it, but you know what? And, and, and that's good. And there, there, are, there are times when the, uh, a word of knowledge is important. But I'm telling you what, when, when you get the presence of God in your life, then the Holy Spirit just starts doing it. And I'm just telling you right now, if you want to go to a higher place, and I believe there are many in this room that there is that divine satisfaction that's been, dissatisfaction that's been growing in your heart, and you're saying, I want more, I want more. And God says, okay, you invite the presence of God and the Holy Spirit just whispers in your ear, this is the area where you need to reconcile. This is the area that I need to cut. Zacchaeus knows exactly what. He's been dealing with the guilt of it for years. He's been accused of it. It's not like it's anything really hidden, but it's the obvious thing. And sometimes that, you know, our sin, our struggle, we know what's going on inside. I mean, it's like as plain as a nose on our face. We don't ha- I mean, we don't have to have words of knowledge. We have the literal knowledge. We just need to let Jesus cut it. And that's exactly, he says, right now, Right now, I am going to give half of what I have back to the poor. 
All he owns, it says. Now he goes on even deeper. And he says, and if he has cheated anyone, he would pay them back four times the amount. Now, I looked at that and I thought, is he throwing down? Now, this guy loves money. So he's not going to likely say anything, right? He's not going to say anything that's going to cost him too much. But at the same time, I think the first level he realizes it dealt with one, his dishonest gain, but the next one, it really comes out. I mean, I, to me, I can see him doing that. He stands up, you know, now he's just eye to eye with Jesus who's sitting, right, because he's so short. So he stands up and he goes, today I'm going to give half of what I take, I've taken, give back to the poor. And then he catches Jesus' eyes and he looks at it. And just one look, Jesus says, you can do better than that. Because we know what's really going on. You're a cheater. You're a deceiver, Zacchaeus. And so if you want to go to the high, if you want to follow with me, if you want to really go to the next place that I have for you, you really need to deal with that, Zacchaeus. You've got to go there. And so that's when he says, and if I've cheated anyone, four times the amount. Could have said, I'll give you double what he just did. He knows his numbers. But he says, four times. <laughs> that word spread around town pretty quick, you can bet. Four times. Oh, man, let's go. So, Jesus shows his approval by pointing out to everyone that this was a solid idea and one that showed his heart of repentance and willingness to change. And that's key. God is after that willingness in us to change. Zacchaeus, again, he mentions cheating people, taking advantage of people. That was the area that God wanted to come and deal with and to say, look, Zacchaeus, that is the heart of what I'm after here. Is how you've treated people. And if you want mercy, it's time to show mercy. So Zach, Jesus points out, and I love it, he says, today this guy has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. And what do you, what do you think that means? Because he already is a son of Abraham. He's a Jew. But he says a true son of Abraham. If, you know, if you've read the book of Hebrews, you know exactly what he's talking about. That's right, Dwight. He's a man of faith. That at this point in time, he has moved from a, a person who just believed in God to a, God that, a man who was willing to do exactly what God said. That he had faith in his word, that he had trusted what Jesus, the whole aspect of what Jesus was calling him to do. What is amazing that this is all just taking place with looks and the minimal amount of language. I just got to go to your house. That's all he says. So you're praising God, you're worshiping the Lord, and he just says, I need to come into your heart. And it's just like, whoa, I mean, we just start throwing off the stuff, the sin, and the things that we know we've been doing. And it's just like, that's all we have to do. We just need one look. We just need that one connection. That's why it's so important to come into the house of God and to worship. That's why it's important to be in the presence of God is so often. Because we climb that tree and we're looking for him. And he comes and says, I need to come into your heart and I need to do some things. And then all, this, all of a sudden, it's just, and then his approval, his, his, his love, it just flows it's all happening instantaneously in many ways. Then Jesus closes this whole experience with a kingdom declaration. We shouldn't miss this part. Matter of fact, we all push past it. In all the commentaries I was reading, they said, look, this was the most important part as far as Luke was concerned because Luke was the, was the, the writer regarding the kingdom of God. 
he wanted, he constantly saw the strategic element, which is why he was chosen to write the book of Acts. But he sees the strategic element in the book of Luke here because he wanted to catch exactly what Jesus said, as he often did. Look what it says at the very end. Jesus said to them, today salvation has come to this house because this too, this man too, is a son of Abraham. In other words, he's a man of faith. He just believed. And then the very end is, is everything. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Why did Jesus show up? Because, man, he saw how bad this guy was. And he's like a magnet to those who are broken. He is like a magnet to those. I mean, Zacchaeus is a strategic person now. Catch it. He's he's like a Paul of that city. He has so much influence, negative influence. Imagine what happened to Jericho the next day when they all began to find out that the worst man that they had ever known was now walking with Jesus, was now believing, had given half of all of his wealth to the poor and was willing to line up all those who felt cheated by him and to give him four times the amount. I mean, talk about an Ebenezer Scrooge story. I mean, this is the first Ebenezer Scrooge story, isn't it? And so what would that have done to that community? What would it have done? It would have turned it upside down. That's what God does. He's strategic in what he does. He's about the kingdom. He doesn't do things just randomly. He's about to seek and to save the lost. See, folks, when we understand that, and we understand that God wants to see me change, not just so that I can be happy, but he wants to see me change so that I can do more for the kingdom of God, that there is is so much more to happen around and through us. That's why he wants us to change. But see, guess what? Even, I mean, he does care about what's going on in you too. He wants to see the fruit, that we can enjoy the fruit, but you can't have more fruit until you get rid of the fruit. Law of reciprocity once again. It's all there. So are you hungry for a change? Then let your faith in Christ produce a fruit. If you've wronged your brother or your sister, make it right. Let him take that. Let him touch that. If that is something that's blocking you from allowing Jesus to come and to do more in your life, then let him take it. Announce to him, Lord, today I make a decision that I'm going to go and write and make that right. You know, someone dear to me recently wrote a letter to somebody that had a broken relationship and attempted to fix it and, and to do what was right and to free themselves from the bondage of, of a choice of cutting that relationship off. I mean, the grace of God begins to flow in again. Man, what can happen when we do that? If we've judged people and isolated ourselves, because that's all that's going to happen, is we shut down the kingdom flow when we judge people. We may feel like we're right, but man, we have just shut down the flow of figs. (laughs) They ain't going to grow anymore. If you've stolen, you've broken faith, or committed a sin that is not keeping in the life that you've been called to, it's time to repent. That's a hard word, it seems like, but it's not. Not when you think of Zacchaeus. All it is is just saying, look, Jesus, you've come into my life, and now I know what needs to happen. I need to give this to you. I need to surrender this to you. 
I need to confess it as sin. I need to allow you to take that that I've been hoarding, I've been protecting. See, change cannot happen until our heart changes. And clearly, clearly Zacchaeus was hungry for change. His life of sin was bearing down on him, and Jesus sought him out, and in the end, Zacchaeus was changed forever. 